Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a podcast helping academics and former academics to find wellness, meaning, purpose, and freedom in life and career. I'm Danielle Delamar. Glad you're here. Welcome, welcome. This is episode 86 and I'm Danielle Delamar. You may be hearing my children in the background because they're particularly loud right now. They tend to choose those moments when I'm recording. (laughs) I know many of you can relate. (laughs) Um, I had the pleasure of talking to my friend, Dr. Sarah Hutchinson, on today's interview, and she has such good career advice, especially if you're feeling stuck in your academic job and you don't totally know where to go or how to get somewhere different. She talks about, you know, the importance of seeing your career as nonlinear. She talks about the importance of seeing your job as just, um, you know, a short-term thing. Like, I'm going to just try this on and see what happens. And just really being very psychologically flexible about how your career looks and knowing that it can change and knowing that it can swerve. And one of the other things that I found really interesting is um, how she talks about the reasons she experienced academia to be um, less supportive than industry. Um, And so you're going to love hearing about that. It's super, super interesting. Um, She talks about how she had to build confidence after she left academia And she was able to do that in her industry jobs because her industry jobs offered her support that um, her academic job didn't. So here she is now. You're going to love this interview. Thank you so much for joining our conversation today. I'm talking to my friend, Dr. Sarah Hutchinson, Assistant Scientific Director at a medical communications company. Sarah, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks so much for having me. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you doing this. And I have to say, okay, so just so people know, listeners know, Sarah and I have known each other for a long, long, long time. And our families know each other. And Sarah's husband, husband, or should I say partner? What do you prefer? Husband's fine. Okay, okay. And Sarah's husband was in an academic job in Canada, and now they just moved um, back to Oregon, where you kind of wanted to be for many, many years. And he himself la- left uh, his academic job. And so even though you haven't like been in an academic job, you're st- still sort of like been jerked around geographically <laughs> by academia, yes? Oh, absolutely. And I should clarify that he still is in an academic job. He uh, ah. <laughs> He's just transitioned. He's restarting his lab in a, a new place. So, Oh, it, I thought he left completely. That's what Dan told me. Ah, uh, Dan's wrong. Ah. <laughs> he, okay. He's an associate professor at uh, OHSU. Um, and so he, it's a pretty much a lateral move for him. And we move for family reasons. Okay, cool. I love it. Yeah, because we were just talking. I mean, we haven't talked to each other for a while because of COVID. We usually would see each other in the summers and we haven't been able to. Um, And so like 
uh, I didn't, I know that you and I a few years ago have ta had talked about you really wanted to come back to the US and you were really hoping to go to Oregon and here you are in Oregon. And one of the things I thought was super funny when we got on the call just now uh, was that um, you had said you are like in demand in terms of jobs and you have recruiters calling you every day and all this stuff. And you were like, I've never really experienced this before. <laughs> so it's tell true. us what you do, what you were doing and what the heck, why are you in su such demand? <laughs> oh, where to start? What a good question. I know. <laughs> so most recently I've been working as a, a clinical research manager, which is a a deviation from my original training. So I have a, I have a PhD in developmental biology. Um, so I followed a very academic track for quite some time. Um, I, after my PhD, I did a postdoc uh, at the Huntsman Cancer Institute where I studied um, leukemias and T-cell development. And then from there, uh, cue the two partner problem in academics. Um, my husband mm -hmm. was recruited uh, to... Uh, the Hospital of Sick Children, where he started his job uh, as assistant professor, and we were there for 11 years. Um, so he stayed in his same role, but I've moved around quite a bit. And part of that's because when he took that role in Toronto, I was hired on as a research assistant, which was a position, or it wasn't, a, sorry, a research associate. Those those terms in basic research get thrown around a lot, but I was um, kind of a senior postdoc position. And the reason I took that was because I knew I didn't want to run my own lab, but I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do, which I think is a very um, common thread in academics. Mm -hmm. um, and particularly moving to a new country, it was uh, challenging uh, to figure things out. But so I did the research associate thing for three, four years and knew I felt very, very stuck um, mm. uh, because basically you it's like doing a postdoc forever. In, or, <laughs> at least that's what it felt like to me. And, um, and was, this in, was this in your husband's lab? Like was this no. in your lab? No, okay. I've, okay. Um, you know, that works really well for some people. Uh, <laughs> okay. We've always made a deliberate choice not to do that. And I think that was the right, right choice for us. Um, okay. uh, but what I ended up doing is I started a core facility in SickKids. So what a core facility is in basic research, I, I became a manager um, of this core facility. So in basic research, a lot of the big institutions have these like fee-for-service um, kind of mini companies within their hospital. And what I did is I started one for generating disease models using zebrafish. So this is at a time when this new CRISPR technology that... Um, probably everybody's heard of, but not everybody knows But what it is. Uh, it, it had just started. And what it is, is it allows you to um, make mutations in animals wherever you want. And the cool thing about this um, fee-for-service business I started is I started working with clinicians. I went from as a basic researcher and I worked with clinicians who'd identified um, mutations 
in patients who had a disease. So they had a disease, they didn't know what was causing it, but they said, hmm, there's a mutation in this gene. I wonder if this could be the cause. And they needed to test whether the that was what's causing the disease. And so they would make a model using uh, zebrafish, which is a something I'd used a lot in the past, but basically uh, it's a good model for drug discovery and studying early development. Uh, and so for a fee, I would make these disease models for clinicians um, and they would start testing drugs on them. Um, and I found in this process, I really loved uh, the setup of this business, like thinking through, okay, what what could we provide? What services could we provide? How and the how do we um, communicate this to the clinicians? I liked helping them uh, write grant, little grants to bring money in, um, and I I like that strategic uh, thought process um, that goes with setting up a business. But a couple years in, um, well, a couple things happened. One is I had my first kid, uh, and that changes everything, as many of us mm-hmm. know. Uh, but also, I, I kind of felt like I was hitting hitting a ceiling. Again, I feel like this happens a lot in academic situations. You find new opportunities, but you hit a ceiling. And and, and, and you end up like doing a lot for not much compensation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of had hit this wall where people are like, oh, that's great, but you need to do more. And I kept saying, well, I'm, I've been doing more and more every year, but this isn't working for me anymore. Um, and I really didn't want to work um, at the bench anymore. There was a lot of, um, I was still doing experiments and things like that. And what I really liked was the strategic thinking and the writing aspects of that uh, job. So what I did um, is I I completed an essential skills certificate from the American Medical Writers Association. I really liked working with the clinicians and thinking about the diseases and the patient issues they were they had um, in the clinic. And so I thought medical writing might be a good way for me to um, think about those things without actually have to like test things in the lab. Um, And, and that transition uh, was a bit challenging because I didn't have a ton of writing experience to share. So I did a little bit of freelance writing here and there, but Actually, medical writing is a gigantic field, which I had no idea when I went in. And I didn't know how to um, identify what what I wanted to do because I only had this academic experience. Um, but what I ended up doing is actually live, leveraging my personal experience to get uh, a writing position, again, kind of in an academic situation, but this time at a, a hospital. So uh, I, ended, I worked as a scientific writer for uh, the Maternal Infant Care Research Center at Sinai Health in Toronto, and this center supports the Department of Pediatrics at that hospital, all, all the writing there, and the writing for um, several national Canadian neonatal networks. So these networks collected information from all the infants uh, in level three NICUs across Canada, so in the neonatal intensive care units. So all these babies that are born preterm or uh, end up in intensive care right after they're 
birth, they their data is entered in national databases in Canada. And then clinicians ask questions and use that data to try and address those questions. And I helped write those manuscripts and submit them. And I helped write grants and I helped um, do uh, write, write summaries for the public and things like that all around this neonatal network. And I think the reason this worked really well for me is that both my children were born preterm. So mm-hmm. their data and my data were in, in these databases. So it was personal for me. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was actually a very cathartic experience because I got to kind of read through all these things and kind of deal with uh, some of the, eh, the emotions that stay with you for a while after experiencing preterm birth. Um, but it, it was my leg into the door in writing, and I found I loved it. I, or I love I loved the manuscript writing. I like getting deep in things. I really like editing. Uh, and I think I would have stayed there for quite some time, except that, again, I kind of hit the ceiling. You keep writing for other people all the time, and the projects are very similar. And I learned all that... I felt I could learn in that situation. And for me, my career path kind of changes when I feel like I can't learn anymore from that situation. I get bored and I need to do something different. Um, Okay. And so that's kind of why I ended up in this non-linear path, uh, partly because I couldn't figure out quite how to get it out of academics completely. Um, And second of all, because I just, I, I'd learn everything I needed to do. And then I'm like, all right, I'm doing something different. <laughs> and so I'd take a class or do something, uh, figure out something else. So, but in this situation, I hit my two year mark. I'm like, I, I, you know, I love doing this, but it's starting to feel like the same thing over and over. Um, mm-hmm. I, I need a new challenge. And at that point, the department of obstetrics and gynecology, where I had also been a patient with my children, um, was recruiting a clinical research manager. Now, I actually didn't have experience in that. That's really different from writing. But I knew the head of research really well, and she wanted me to join the team. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I've at (laughs) least (laughs) written the documents that they use. So sure, I can do that. It sounded fun. So I, I went and I became a clinical research manager. And this was in this position, I, I was managing um, 10 staff. Um, I was doing uh, finance and budgets and contracts. And uh, it's, it's the biggest obstetrics and gynecology department in Canada. So there were over 65 clinicians. And uh, I was supporting the 10 to 20 that did research. It was fun because there were a lot of moving pieces and a ton of things to learn. And what I learned about myself is that um, I was really good at making strategic connections and big picture stuff for the department. I, I was I learned how to manage people well and I could be good at it, although it's exhausting. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was fun because I really felt like I had an impact and I was making change in the department and I worked really well with my boss. Uh, and then COVID hit and mm. that added a whole new level of complications to the job. 
and my Brett and I, uh, my husband, we started really considering moving back to the U.S. Um, for very personal reason, uh, just family reasons. We we missed being close to family. The border was closed; it had been closed for a year. Uh, it, we haven't seen anyone. I mean, everyone was locked down during COVID, but I think kind of uh, some of the idea, the things that we missed about being in the States and had been kind of percolating there for a while just all came to a head. We loved Toronto, still love Toronto to this day, but it's a gigantic city. Um, and so that's the other part of the reason we moved family and outdoor lifestyle. Um, we'd been to graduate school at the University of Oregon and an opportunity came up for Brett at Oregon Health Sciences Center. And so we moved again. And we, you mentioned in our earlier, earlier about being jerked around in academics. And I kind of feel that's the, a little bit of that. I felt that way maybe in the beginning, but I actually, through changing jobs, I've changed jobs quite a few times in the last six years, three times in six years. Um, I see it as an opportunity now mm -hmm. and I don't really feel jerked around like when Brett oftentimes in academics you can get a spousal hire along with um, the main hire and we talked about it this time around and I said no I don't want to be a spousal hire I I can find my own job mm -hmm. and I think the reason I'm in demand now is multifold and one is it's a good time to be on the job market because a lot of people are moving around because of COVID. But, but two is I did two years of medical writing and then I did two years of clinical research management. So the two years of writing ha is a, like shows I can do writing experience, but the clinical research management, I know how the documents are used and how the information flows. And I have an unusual um, understanding of both basic and clinical research. So I think mm. that's a, that was, that's a big thing that people want. Um, and I kind of hoped that would be true, but didn't actually know that to be true <laughs> until I um, was on the job market. So I think, those things together. And I think I'm a lot more clear on what I want this time around uh, and what's going to work for me. So I'm willing to say no to those recruiters who are like, oh, do you want to try this? In the past, I would have just said yes to everyone. Um, now yeah. I'm like, no, that's really not going to work for me. And I know I can do better. Um, and and so then they'll, they'll look for something else. Um, and I think having that confidence to be like, all right, this is what I want and I'm going to kind of stick to it. And for me, it's not a monetary thing. It's like what's going to work in this work-life balance that we've, uh, we're working hard to achieve with our move mm -hmm. to Oregon. Okay. So it's kind of a long answer. Yeah, no, you needed to build the context for it. So I, yeah. I hear that. Um, but I, so I guess what's resonating with me is, you know, you talk about confidence and, you know, the spousal hire and you're like, no, I can find my own job. Yeah. And I'm wondering at what point did that confidence start to emerge and how did it start to emerge? Um, early on, it was kind of like, oh, I'm stuck and I don't know where to go and I don't even know what I'm doing. 
Um, when did you start feeling like you had a grasp on this and, and you had a grasp on where you wanted to go and what you wanted to do? Yeah, I'm a late bloomer. So for me, <laughs> it was really the last uh, three, four years when I got my first medical writing job. Um, yeah. And uh, I started getting feedback for my writing and my thought process because part of medical writing is also thinking about study design and making sure the science is accurate and as a, a of the right quality. So I was getting feedback, a lot of positive feedback about my writing um, from the clinicians. Uh, and then the ones I worked with one-on-one -on -one really appreciated all my feedback. Um, and then also the other thing is um, grants that I was helping write were getting funded. So that mm -hmm. made a big difference. Um, mm -hmm. so I started as a writer and then I had an amazing boss when I was a manager who just listened and supported mm -hmm. and whatever idea I wanted to try, she helped me do it. Uh, and that just went a really, that goes a really long way. I, I needed that positive feedback from the clinicians. And I think also, um, you know, academic writing can be formulaic, and I don't write that way. I write very clear. It works well in medical communications, and um, clinicians really like it because they clinician researchers have two jobs. They're clinicians, and, and they do research on the side. It's really hard, and mm -hmm. I think they appreciate simplicity a lot. Um, I think it's a – so I think I needed to be in kind of a different environment to get the positive reinforcement I needed. I admire academic academics in the academic world, but I personally often found I didn't get the, I think in academics, you're trained to be judgmental. You're trained to question and mm -hmm. some, it often goes overboard. And I felt that a lot. Like I, I rarely got positive feedback. And if I did, it was in the form of a question like, Oh, did you write that? <laughs> oh, okay. that's, and then is that, Hmm, okay. And I, I didn't, is that good or bad? <laughs> Do you want to know if I wrote it? <laughs> okay. Sometimes they'd be like, oh, that's just way too simple. I'm like, why should I write a convoluted sentence to make, like, it doesn't have to be in passive voice. <laughs> the more inaccessible, the better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I just, I think as academics, we're way too hard on ourselves and each mm. other. And mm. It's really unsustainable over time. And so once I was able to kind of get out from under that kind of uh, world where we're always trying to figure out what's wrong and focus on what's right and then tweak mm. what needs fixing, mm. all, this, all of a sudden everything comes easier. Like mm. you're not as worried, of, you're not worried about failing and you're not, you're, you just want to try something and put it out there. So, uh, so that makes me think that like, um, taking the risk to try another job after you had been feeling the positive feedback was a lot easier. Yes. Um, but, but leaving academia to get into this first one was that risk was more of a leap. Yes. Tell me where I'm wrong. Yes, absolutely. I, I think the biggest leap was, uh, the first medical writer job. I, okay. I felt very in, insecure um, and it made it harder to get a job because 
Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's the imposter syndrome. Um, and really, interviews are all about connections and making the connection. And I couldn't, I, I really struggled to do that. And so that's why I think I was able to land the job where I had personal knowledge and was really excited about it. Like that's the job that worked for me. But yeah, okay. that every every um, job after that that got easier got easier. But the in that first job, one thing that was key to me, key for me was to realize get out of the mindset that this was forever. Like mm. I was just trying finding something to try for a couple of years, and as okay. soon as I took that pressure off myself that this didn't have to be for the next 20 years, all of a sudden, like other things looked interesting. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So um, I'm hearing like a lot of great advice for people who may be in the sort of place you were in, you know, as a postdoc or a research associate or something. Um, Like I'm thinking one, you said, you know, get out of the, this is forever mindset. Um, know that, you know, often when you get out of academic circles, you might find that, you know, you can focus on things that are right and you might find more support around you. Um, And so know that that is a possibility if you leave. But what other, what sort of advice do you have for people who feel stuck like you did? Yeah, I think for me, you know, I've always been a curious person, which is why I ended up in academics to begin with. But I, I mean, there were a lot of years there where I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just kept trying different things. Mm -hmm. I'd take um, little, little courses that they would offer uh, at our, at my institution. I did a project management certificate through the local university. Like all of these things were remote. I I didn't want to spend a lot of money on, um, school. I had kids, so I wanted to, it had to be something easy for me to, to do kind of on the side. So yeah, I did a project management certificate. I was really into, um, knowledge translation. So these concepts around how to, uh, help science cross different uh, boundaries, whether that's uh, basic science to the lay public or basic to clinical research. I just kept dabbling in all these different things and at some point you have to make a decision and choose because you have to (laughs) you have to be able to tell people why you want to go a certain route Um, but you know for me I was just continually exploring I would go to the job events for for trainees where they describe the different types of jobs I was doing that like well after my postdoc was over oh what other jobs are out there (laughs) oh Uh, I love that okay yeah, I was, I was also, um, I would do little coffees with people and just ask what they did for a living. Um, I think, and just have them describe their different roles. I met a lot of people mm-hmm. that way. And I think that, and I learned a lot about the different types of writing that were out there and the different opportunities. So I think for me, that piece of advice would just be you know, just keep exploring something, you'll hit on something. It's not always, it's definitely not linear. Uh, mm-hmm. Career career paths are not linear. And like, even now, you know, I went from medical writing to clinic, 
clinical research manager. I love that role. Right now, I don't want to be a manager of a lot of people. I also learned that, you know, that role, the writing I did was still the stuff I liked. And I, I missed um, digging down in, in depth into different topics. So I'm actually switching now away from the research, clinical research management back into writing. Um, so mm-hmm. I've made another zig back in. And this time I'm I'm moving um into a, a medical communications agency. So it's a different type of writing. But I took that, you know, this interview process, I was kind of trying to decide what type of writing I would wanted to do a communications agency or regulatory writing, which is a whole different career path. And I think I would be happy doing that. But um, when I did the interview with a medical communications agency, I'm like, that sounds like fun. People get paid to do this. And, uh, and I'm okay. like, all right, I guess that should be, <laughs> this should be my, you know, let's do it. Let's, let's do what sounds fun. So. Yeah. Yeah. How did you learn to sort of follow that, that voice, right? That was telling you, keep exploring. Let's do the thing that sounds fun. Let's go to coffee with people. Cause a lot of people might look at that, um, and say, you know, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's just going there and here and blah, blah, blah. Um, And and, and, I mean, this is what career coaches would always recommend you do. But but, like, how did you know to do it? Like, was there just sort of intuitive knowledge or did you go out and sort of seek some sort of um, help? Some of it, I did have a friend who was um, in HR who who gave me some advice on that or she was she and she she wanted to be a actually she is a career coach now although I haven't used her services she she did give me some advice in that way so I did get pointed in the right direction um part of it is curiosity for me part of it is um somewhere along the way I read Atomic Habits by James Clear uh-huh and, uh-huh yeah so and this idea of doing things a little tiny bit of a time resonated with me because I've, so he, he's all about small habits regularly lead to long-term change. And mm-hmm. if you start too big, it's really hard to follow through. And this resonated with me because I'm, I've always been a big project person. Like I need to like, I'll just, I'll just put it aside and do it all at once. And (laughs) I can power through a lot of stuff, but that doesn't really work well long-term. It doesn't work well with family life. It doesn't work well for career development. And that was something, once I read it, I was like, Oh, that's kind of what I need to do. Um, I would get frustrated with myself when I was that I didn't know what I would do and wanted to do after all this time. And honestly, I didn't start that kind of investigation process till I was several years into my research associate with, um, at SickKids. So it, it took me quite a while. Um, and I got frustrated with myself at first, um, until I had my support of my friend and also kind of reading these books. I'm like, you know what? it'll just it it's patience and even though this doesn't seem linear i am building blocks 
mm-hmm. they'll come together at some point. And honestly, even though I am where, you know, I have a, a brand new job that I'm very excited about, a new lifestyle, if it doesn't work in two years, I can change. And I'm still like, okay, what what kind of online course can I take that might help, uh, you know, help me in this new job, but also just kind of sounds interesting. I feel like there's new paths to take. And part of the reason I took this job is it's a, a bigger group where I'm going to start in one area, but they have lots of opportunities to move and change to other groups um, and learn different things. Um, I really didn't want to be in a smaller group where I would only be doing one thing. I don't know if I answered your question, but... Yeah, no, it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if you have... Um if you had like a daily sort of career development habit, <laughs> like, if oh. you, like, how did that work? So I, I can't say I had a daily habit. I probably did stuff weekly. Uh, when I became a writer, I joined the American Medical Writers Association. So uh, part of my career development was they have a lot of um, learning modules in there. So I was always watching and trying. They have little hour long ones that I could do every now and then. Um, uh, uh, I was doing some, when I became a research manager, there's a different professional association. So I guess one thing I do is I do use the professional associations because they have the easiest access to Mm. um, long-term career development options. And so if I was looking to like move into a different career, I would start with that career with the professional associations. I love it. I love it. Is there anything you want to say to sort of make our conversation feel complete to you? I just want people to know that career paths aren't linear um, and they don't have to be long-term if you don't want them to be. Um, Mm -hmm. It's completely under your control. Uh, You're, I feel like, in academics, we feel like we owe people things, owe people for giving us jobs. And that's just not the case at all. <laughs> you never <laughs> owe anyone for giving mm. you a job. And if they make you feel that way, then they're not a very good manager. Um, mm. And I feel like, uh, like it's up to you to take control of your career and it's okay to not feel like you're in control that's fine just know that there's other opportunities out there it's this isn't going to be forever and find something that makes you happy and you know maybe it's only happy for the next year or two years that's okay find something different there's no reason to stick with something you're not enjoying 100 percent. awesome Sarah, I'm guessing there might be some people who are listening to your story and going, oh my God, this is really resonating. Would you be willing to talk to anybody that was interested in um, sort of getting more advice from you? Sure, of course. So how how might we reach you? Uh, You can email me uh, at um, Hutchinson, H-U-T-C-H-I-N-S-O-N dot Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Anne, A-N-N, at at gmail.com. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been such, such a pleasure. Nice chatting with you, Daniel. Daniel.
Thanks for joining me today on Self-Compassionate Professor. I'm Danielle Delamar, wishing you a wonderful day and much happiness, health, and peace. Take care.